the third lesson of seven sevens, this is what I would determine if I could have done it in seven weeks. It wouldn't have been enough time. The comprehensive thought that has originated from the moment that the prophet Isaiah walked into the bedchamber of the king. And the king was a righteous king. Up until that time, it looks like he had done just about everything he needed to do in serving the law and the Lord and being in subjection to the prophet. Isaiah said to King Hezekiah, set your house in order. Because this sickness that you have is unto death. In the eyes of many people, that sounds like a judgment. But to know your time. This is the gift of the sons of Issachar. The tribe of Issachar. You may not know all about them, and I surely won't um, give you the full detail. But that tribe and those sons of Issachar, their gift was to know the times. They understood the times in which they lived. It is an oblivious man who doesn't know what time it is or what season it is. It's a flagrant woman who doesn't know what time it is. It's the haphazard church that doesn't have a recognition of the time. Even Jesus said, you know when it's going to rain because you see the clouds in the sky, but you don't understand the sign of the times. Surely he was not just speaking to them, but he was speaking to us. Do we not know the signs of the times? We ought to know the signs of the times. And if we don't know, It's not because they're not present or not apparent. It could be because we're not paying attention. Amen. There's a myriad of reasons why people that proclaim to know the Lord are not focused on the Lord. I won't delineate all of that. We're on number or letter uh, E in that small pamphlet. If you don't have one, I'm sure that that. Someone will help you. And there are a few things in the lesson that I cannot go back over because we've moved on for those things. And I told you tonight, uh, last week, that this was a, a moment that we might all have to really cringe a little bit. And I'm the first one to do that. So we'll move past letter E. We'll get into some other things. But, but I, I, in, in setting your house in order, there are multiple different levels of that of course your physical home and and of course your your mind your thought your lifestyle but but also your body your physical body so i'm going to go through this and and then you can um you can nudge someone and say i think he's talking to you or you could just kind of uh look straight ahead and know that maybe uh, you are, you and I are the object of, of the point. This is physical. Get your physical life in order. Your physical body. You only have one body. You have one. And it is interesting to me in the scripture 
that we are told and known that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're not the only ones who would take some kind of maybe even religious stand, if you will, against tobacco products or illicit drugs or alcoholic beverages. We're not the only ones. Many, many religions and denominations and major religions of the world would also subscribe to those types of things. We don't have a particular scripture that actually spells out the word marijuana. We don't have that or cocaine. But we do have this scripture that you are the temple of the living God, 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. And so we know from the scripture in a principle-based view that some things are harmful for the human body. Amen. And the one of the great issues that we had was we were so hung up on people not smoking or trying to trying to quit drinking. Those were the major two major things that the Pentecostal church focused on when it came to taking care of your human body, your your frame. But but those were cheap way outs. I will stand here and tell you that is a cheap way out. That is a cheap, non-studying uh, message to preach against smoking and drinking. <laughs> Bunch of smokers and drinkers. As if that's the only thing that pertains to your physical frame. Now, you don't want the next thing that I'm going to say. You do not want this. Who thinks that smoking and drinking is bad for your body? No? 25%. The reason why the rest of you don't raise your hand because you know there's something else coming. And I'm setting you up for a big time. Yes. Well, consider yourself a target. (laughs) And me too. And me too. Because... Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And it's wearisome that we would ruin our bodies for years and then ask people to pray and fast for the healing concerning the destruction that we've been engaging in for the last many decades. Now how are we doing? It only goes downhill from here. I'll just, (laughs) oh, this is so, I blame the Lord at 3.30 in the morning. Something. The first part of their physical frame is a diet. And that doesn't mean going on a diet. It means the kind of foods that we eat. 115 years ago, the average American consumed four and a half pounds of sugar a year. Now today, the average American consumes over 150 pounds of sugar a year. And you might say, well, I don't use sugar. Yes, but if you ever open up a can of Del Monte green beans, you're eating sugar. What? Yes, that's right. And what's happening is that we don't have a very good diet. We eat poorly. And sometimes our bodies are suffering and our minds are suffering Because of the food that we are eating. 
One of the reasons why I don't eat McDonald's is because I want to live. See, I already know I have resistance. It's not really the demonic resistance, but... But the problem, the problem that we have is that everybody is okay with the preacher preaching against tobacco or cigarettes. And we'll just scorn that guy that lights up. And we'll, we'll say, man, that boy, they really need to go hold of God. All the while, we got, we've never seen a Krispy Kreme donut that didn't need to be comforted. <laughs> uh-huh. And... When it's all said and done, we're not caring for ourselves. So if you're going to care for your temple, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's hypocritical for us to speak about things that, that, that constitute or define illicit drugs if we don't actually have a handle on what we're eating and how much we're eating. Did you know the Bible says that surfeiting is a sin? And some of you are saying, I've never even been to the ocean. That means overeating. That means always food. Food can actually be a crutch for people who are in great depression. When people have stress, what do they eat? They eat this thing that we now, I didn't start this. It's comfort food. Has anyone ever heard of comfort food? What does comfort food mean? It's food that obviously by definition, it comforts you. Is it a warm blanket? (laughs) You want me to move on. I can see it in your eyes. The next one is exercise. It's just taking a walk. It's getting up off the couch. We were talking about this a couple years ago, Scott, where you said there was this little thing. First, you get up off the couch, you walk to the door, go back to the couch. Next day, you get up from the couch, walk to the door, go out the door, go, down the, go, go halfway down the sidewalk, come back, walk. A few years ago, we were in the, we were in the other building, and, and, and at the end of the Bible study, I said, we're all going to go for a walk. The whole Bible study went for the walk. Well, a couple people didn't go, but we all went. I don't know if anyone remembers that, that one walk after the Bible study. Well, I remember that. And I walked down with Brother Heiss. He was half jogging, half walking. And man, he was doing so good. And of course, Brother Heiss ran many miles every day. And, and, and his exercise helped him. It was, it, was, it was an incredible thing. I think it sustained his life. It sustained his life. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. How would you treat a normal temple? Would you throw paper on the floor? Would you, would you, would you have a stain? Would you leave empty trash on it? What, what about our human bodies? What about our lives? I know, that, I know when people hear me speak this way, they think, well, that's not spiritual. I'm going to tell you, you don't take care of your body, you'll be sick. And when you're ill and you're hurting in your body, then you can't do the work of the kingdom. And that's spiritual. The next one is margins. Everyone say margins. Margins means that you need to have space. I have a wonderful Bible. I've talked about this many times. I have a wonderful Bible. And it's beautiful. The leather is amazing. Um, I I got it years ago. I I don't really open it up too much. I have other study Bibles and work work Bibles and, and, and daily Bibles. But this one is just a gorgeous Bible. And I open it up. 
The letters go from one side of the page all the way to the other side of the page. There are no margins. And one of the reasons why I don't use that Bible is because I like to write in my Bible. If there are no margins, I cannot make a note. I can read it, but I can't study it. I can read it, but I can't have a moment where God can inspire me. Because unless you have a margin, you have no space to be inspired. Amen. So you need downtime, and you need to relax, and you need to have a Sabbath. Isn't it interesting that of the Ten Commandments, many people believe in all the commandments, but they do not obey the Sabbath? Your body needs rest. I don't know how many of you have done this, but when I go on a vacation, I have to prepare to go on the vacation. I got to prepare. I got to get things in order. It is even a little hectic to leave town, especially if everyone's going. Now, I'm nervous about it. I'm nervous about them going. And, you know, if we get on a plane, I'm always making sure, does everyone have their driver's license? Can we identify you? I may not remember all of my kids' names, but I know someone needs to know your name. <laughs> and then when we come back, we've got to recoup from the vacation. I can tell you that's probably not a vacation. We would go to these theme parks. I'd run around, make sure everyone had fun. By the time the seven days were done, I was so completely exhausted. We did this for years and years and years. And we would just lay down and just... just just die. Margins. You have to have margins. That's why we're not hearing from God. That's why it's hard to hear the voice of God because we're talking, we're running, and we're doing a lot of things every day, and we have no time just to be still. You have to have time for your body to recoup. Even in muscle building and weightlifting, the great weightlifters do not lift weights every day. Their body rests they take time off. It's a day or two, and then it's a day or two resting. That's the same thing with your mind and your spirit. I can just tell you, some of us need to have a break from talking to other people. And you need to have a margin where the Lord can speak to you. <laughs> this is what fasting does. Fasting is like riding in the car with God. And fasting is what turns down the radio so that you can hear him. He's speaking the whole time, but the noise is so loud we cannot hear him speak. Amen. And the longer that I fast and, and, and go without food, the clearer I can hear the voice of God. I don't know why that is, and maybe you have a different means. The next letter, the next number down, I think we're on number four, and that's medication control. The control of medication. Over-the-counter medications are eating and swallowing America up. We are medicated from morning till night. Let me just tell you, if you don't know this, pharmaceutical companies are in the business of medicating you. They're not in the business of making you better. If you think that they're there to make you better, you're the same crowd that thinks that the fashion industry is there to clothe you. Somebody just said, I, I, just, I talked to someone and they said, today, one of the contractors said, yes, my, 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 my granddaughters, are, they're wearing these bell-bottom pants. And I said, 
bell-bottom pants? Yeah, he said, bell-bottom pants. I said, how old are you? He said, yeah, he said, I had those. I said, well, there's, they're just bringing things around because they need to sell more product, don't they? And that's exactly what, what's happening today. And medication is, is, is really, it's afflicting us. And we'll say to people, well, I don't do drugs, but maybe we do. It's just prescribed and over-the-counter medication. I'm not saying that you should just throw away all of your medication, but I am saying we always resort to things to wake us up, put us to sleep, give us a pain pill, all of these things, and all of a sudden, people are addicted. If you are, you won't be the first person to be addicted to medications. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) That went over like a lead balloon, but I'll tell you, I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's time for us to wake up and take care of ourselves. Care for your body. I want you to live. I need you. I don't know where uh, Brother Dennis Hoopengarner is tonight. You're somewhere in the building or somewhere around. But I, Brother Dennis Hoopengarner helps a lot in this, in this house. And I, and I say to him, you cannot die until I do. We don't know what we would do without you. Take care of yourself. The next thing is a checkup. Oh, how spiritual is going to the doctor? Now, there, is, there are groups of people around the United States, religious groups of people, that think that if you have blood work or go to the doctor, that somehow you're not a person of faith. That's a lie of the devil. The, the Lord gave us a brain, and thank God people applied that knowledge to, to enter the medical field. We're not against medicine or medical fields. In fact, it's important for us to take care of our body and have a checkup. We have medicine and medical procedures that will keep you alive so that you can live. You're not a person that is, that is lacking faith because you go to the doctor. Somebody had a major issue a few years ago in the, in the foyer of the church, and, and I... I saw it, I went out there, and there was a couple people there, and I said, we got to call 911. And one of the ladies in church said, well, pastor, don't you think we ought to pray first? Yes, that would be a good idea. Sorry. Let's pray. (laughs) So, you know, she helped me out. I don't know who that was, but she helped me out by saying, maybe we should pray first. Okay, we'll pray first. And so I made a mistake. All right. It's, this is basic, but it's important. The kingdom needs your strength. But if you're not caring for yourself and your temple, you'll have no strength. Amen. Here we go. Here's the next one. There's danger. Now, I put danger in here. Uh, are we in number six? Danger. Avoiding dangerous places or dangerous events. You don't put yourself in unnecessary places. I, w- I looked up the national statistics as to when most crimes take place throughout the day. Who would have known that there's an exorbitant amount of crimes that take place between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m.? Who would have thought? Who would have thought that there's an exorbitant amount of crimes, murder, robberies. Now today things have changed a little bit. People like to see what they're doing when they rob someone. You don't need a flashlight if you, if you break into someone's car at noon. But 
if you're in the wrong place, there's a reason why I haven't been stabbed. Well, not physically, but I mean, in other ways, yes, but not physically. And the reason why people are, have trouble is because they put themselves in dangerous places. Now, I can make this a spiritual thing, and we can do that, we will. But for right now, it would be prudent for us to know some thrills are not worth the consequences. And there are a lot of thrills because people want to go to the next level of a thrill. A dangerous thing. There are challenges that get notoriety on TikTok. When the young, uh, young guy died by taking the challenge of swallowing a couple tablespoons of cinnamon and his esophagus could not handle it and he choked and died... I think the thrill was there for everybody until someone passed away. And this is happening over and over and over again because someone starts something and then it's exhilarating. It's a dangerous thing. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Care for your temple. Your mouth, your eyes, your ears ought to be used for the work of the kingdom of God. Amen. And we would avoid a lot of crime that takes place if we would just avoid the dangerous places. We know that there are places that we should not be. Thrill-seeking and doing things that you're not qualified to do is, is a dangerous practice. There was a study done on, on, a, on a new profession called YouTube electricians. <laughs> It doesn't end very well. That's right. It's like the guy who bought a blanket and it had a lot of static electricity and he just returned it and he said the, the, the store did not charge him for a new one. It's a bad joke. Um, you, 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 you're not going to learn all of that in some of these places. And it's interesting to me that the church now, we've bypassed normalcy and common sense. Don't do that. And finally, number seven of the sevens, you have to care for one another and know how to ask for help. It's assistance. Don't be self-sufficient. There are people that are so stubborn, they'll die. They'll die out of stubbornness. <laughs> the, the, I, I, just, I, I just don't want, it could be pride. I'm not gonna ask anyone for help. It could be pride. And so you have to have assistance. It's okay. This is the body of Jesus Christ and you need help. Now, now I, just, I just want to go back to this physical because what's happened here is that there's another element here and it's part of the margin message. And if you go back to number three and look at margins, I just want you to know within the conscript of that, the context of that point, there is an emotional and mental health and when COVID shut the world down and no one knew what to do and everyone said shelter in place, and unless you're an essential worker, which is actually the worst thing, anyone, everyone is essential. That's a big lie. Unless you're some kind of essential worker, you don't go anywhere and you don't talk to anyone and people were shut up in their homes and there was emotional duress and mental stress and inactivity and no touching and no smiling and, 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 and no hugs and no, not all of that 
constituted emotional and mental duress and stress. And many people have never recovered. And some will never recover because it left a deficit in their life. So I just, I, I, I tell you that, that, that there's, within the physical comes this emotional too. It's, it, because it affects your body. I was, I was reading, I was reading this, and it, and it, and it actually uh, was, was confirmed many years ago. Went to a conference, and many years ago, the, in the conference, uh, the, the, the folks brought in a doctor, and the doctor started talking about, um, about ministers and pastors, specifically pastors, and, and the physical, uh, what their physical life and their stress life, what it did to their human body. Uh, ulcers, uh, disease, cancer, and a lot of heart attacks, a lot of heart disease, uh, because when they never took a day off, never had a time off, never escaped, then the stress built up and it, and it caused physical problems in their body. This happens day after day. The higher the stress, the more, the more damaging it does to the internal organs of our bodies. And, and, we're not dealing with that very well. We don't deal with that very well. And I go back to the reason why we're doing all the things we're doing. What is it? Pride? What is it that we need? Another thing? Go back to the earlier lesson when I talked about material things. These things affect our, our minds, our bodies, our skin, all of these things. And, and if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're no good to the kingdom. Even Jesus pushed away from the seashore and he taught the people. Even Jesus went to the mountain alone to pray. There were seasons in his three and a half year ministry that he was nowhere to be found. He escaped from them. Why? Because he had something he needed to do and it transcended all the busyness down here. Okay. Amen. Praise God. I don't necessarily feel good about the, all those points, but... but. I'm going to go back and listen to myself and take, take my own notes. Number six, letter F, relationships. Everyone say relationships. Whew, here's a big one. Aren't you glad we're not talking about Mountain Dew? And cheese puffs? And Doritos? How many bags of potato chips do you all have in your cupboards right now? Lots? <laughs> yeah. No hands are up. Let's go into relationships. Here's relationships. Here's a few things we have to work on. Set things in order. I, I will tell you, it, it, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, the Lord opens up things to me and then I start doing the research and, and, and looking at this. It's, it's, just, it's just amazing what God does in my brain. I'll share something with you. The Bible says, A man sharpened at the countenance of his friends. Iron sharpens iron. Iron, iron. A man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Well, the last word of that, of that verse is the key. It's the key. Mm-hmm. Because you sharpen your friend who is your peer. They're on your same level. They are of the same make, model. They are of the same structure, the same metal, the same iron. Yeah. And, and so... What we have to have is we have to be surrounded by people that are like-minded and that are our peers. They are our peers. That's how I'm sharpened. That's how I'm helped. And 
I've got to have that conversation with people around me. And I need their lives to be in order too to help me. Amen. Now, I just want you to know there's, there's people above you, beside you, and beneath you. Everyone needs a Paul who's above us. Everyone needs a Barnabas who's our peer. And everyone needs a Timothy who is, who is someone we're mentoring. These are, these are common, common lessons and we might have heard them before. But within the family structure, there's got to be a lot of direction. Within the family structure, there has to be a lot of direction. There's a, many ways that the family can be, can be out of order. One, one of the great ways that the family's out of order is that the husband and wife are not in their proper roles. He looks like the man, but she tells him what to do. <laughs> he looks like he's in charge, but he's not. Because that's only the image that happens in public. She knows how to manipulate him, and she knows how to talk to him, and she knows how to belittle him. He's not the man that he appears to be. Because her natural inclination, according to the curse that's found in Genesis, was to lord over him. Her desire is to be his boss. Oh, come on, guys! Just look straight ahead. Straight ahead. Don't don't even don't even blink. Don't blink. Just see him. He could be in charge, but he's not godly, and he's not disciplined, and he's not resolute, and she'll rarely see him on his knees. She wants a godly man, but she don't have a godly man. She has a man who's self-engrossed. Or thinks about other things. And so she feels like she has to take the lead. In the family structure, when it's out of order, the kids dictate what the parents do. How many times have I seen this? That guy breaks up with this girl. This girl's hurt. That guy's hurt. That guy says, I don't want to go to church there anymore. Their family leaves. Why? Because the kids are in charge. The kids dictate what the parents are going to do. The kids tell the parents what they want and what they don't want. That's, that's a house that's not in order. That's a disorderly, dysfunctional home. And now, now we're wondering, well, what, what's all this mess about? Well, I'll tell you, the proper roles have not been, have not been set in order. <laughs> There's not true headship. Let me tell you, men, you are the priest of your home. You wear the priestly garments. They only fit you. Even if there's a single mother in here or, or, or a lady in here that's not married, you are not the priest of your home. That is reserved for the man. You are covered. God doesn't leave anyone out. Even children that have no father, the Bible says he would be a father to the fatherless. But, but, but we got to remember the plan of God and God's order and God's plan. So I say to all the single ladies, and you know I want to break off in song right now. I shouldn't even know that. All oh, the single ladies. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what's in my brain. <laughs> oh, man. I get so sidetracked. <laughs> I say to all the single ladies, you're covered by the authority that God has placed in the church. 
Amen. You have to set your family in order. And the best way you set your family in order is through the scripture. That's how you do it. And relationships, communication, kindness, forgiveness, work ethic, relationships. Number two, you have to have your friendships in order. You have to be very careful who you are friends with. This is a hard call. It's a hard call to separate from someone you like, but you know they're bad for you. If all of your friends, if you say of all of your friends, well, I'm there to help them and I'm there to help them. That means iron is not sharpening iron. You have no, they're not of the same convictions or the same mindset of you. It's okay to have a friend that's in the world and you're trying to help them up, but, but you got to be very careful because most people that are trying to lift someone up out of the muck, they get pulled down a little bit. That's right. So set your friends in order. Who are your friends? Who are the people you confide in? In your friend group, is there anyone that can say, you know, I don't agree with that. I know what you're saying, but I don't agree with that. Oh, well, I just can't be your friend. Well, you gave me a thumbs down. I don't even know what these thumbs mean. A true friend will tell you when you're wrong. A fake false friend will agree with all the nonsense that comes out of your mouth. Yeah, well, all right. We'll move on to the next. Here's relationships. How about the church, the church body, the church? There is relationships that we have to have in the church. We should develop these relationships within the church. If we can't get along in the church, we're never going to reach the world. And I'm not saying get along. I'm, song, I'm talking about loving everybody. There should not be one person in the church that's ever offended you that you still hold a grudge against them. You're not helping the body. That's not part of the body. You love everybody. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they come from, where they came from. It doesn't matter what status or economics that they have in their life. You love everybody in the, in, in the church. This is your family. This is your family. Right? This is your family. Do you let people talk bad about your family? I wouldn't. I don't have a friend that talks bad about my dad. I have no friends that speak ill of my dad. I don't know anyone who does speak ill of my dad. But if there's someone out there that speaks ill of him, I don't, they're not my friend. And if they were my friend and they spoke ill of, of, of him, I would no longer be their friend. But I would not say, well, they didn't say anything bad about me. Right? Well, as long as you're talking bad about him, I can still be friends with them. They, they said something bad about him. Would you do that? Would, would you be friends with someone who punched your, your mother in the mouth or hit, hit your son or your daughter? Would you be friends with them? It, they didn't hurt you, did they? You wouldn't be their friend. But I'll tell you what's happening. People speak ill of leadership in the church and you're still their friend because they didn't say anything bad about you. Well, they didn't do anything personally to me. They just spoke ill of the pastor and the leaders and the, and the, and, and the, and the musicians. But they, they never say anything bad about me. Well, that means you don't consider this your family. These are just associates. associates. Set the church in order. And here's how the church has to set in order. Through kindness and love and Holy Ghost. We walk in every day we walk in. We are the host. We are not the guest. The church is not made up for us. It's made up for the sinner and the lost. Let me just help you with this. When people walk in, 
hopefully, in Jesus' name, we don't have any seats left in this house, and in the next house, we don't have any seats left. But when people walk in and they sit in your design seat, this is, you are the host. I don't invite people over for dinner and my family sitting at the dinner table and say, hey, just, I hope you can find a place to eat somewhere. We invited them into this house. When my mother would have guests at our house, that was especially more guests. That's the day we cleaned everything and repainted everything. That's right. The house was never more clean than when guests came in. This is our church family, the body of the church. When you post things on Facebook and Instagram and whatever else, social media, you ought to think first, is this going to help or hurt the church body? But if you don't have any consideration for the church, you can walk in here, but you hurt the church. When people fail, fall, and commit sin, they're going to answer to God. I don't pity that. But I also don't gloat. I knew they were no good. And then you post all that nonsense on Facebook. I hope you're listening to me. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. And I hope you're looking at me live stream. If you want to hurt the church, don't come here. Just say all the nasty things on Facebook. But if you want to walk in here, be a part of the body. I don't need you to walk in and act like you're a part of the body, but hurt the church. That's a lie. You got to set the church in order. This is the house of God. People can walk in here any way they want to walk, but there is some lines that we ought not cross. Amen. That's right. Some lines we ought not cross. And if you don't have discretion, I'll have some for you. But when I say it, then you're going to get offended and say, well, I'm just going to go to somewhere else because God's leading me to another church. I've heard that before too. Number four, acquaintances. What are your acquaintances? Those relationships. How do you deal with those acquaintances? They're not your church family. They're not really your friends, but they're people that you might know, an acquaintance. You don't sink to their lowest common denominator, but they're your acquaintances. What's your motive for having that acquaintance? What is the motive? Well, the motive always ought to be to spread the gospel. Sometimes when I'm sitting down with someone at a restaurant or a coffee shop, I just want to get it right out. I've said this so many times. I just want to let you know before we begin, I have a motive. <laughs> and they're looking at me. Yes, I want to introduce you to the Lord and to New Life Fellowship. All right, let's get on with our conversation. I want them to know. I'm not sitting around shooting the breeze. I don't want to talk politics. I don't want to talk about the weather, no sports. I don't want to talk business. I've got a motive. It's about the church. It's about the gospel. It's about eternity. My acquaintances are not put in my life just to make my life better. They are there for me to spread the gospel. Amen. It would be better for you to be lonely on a campus and spread the gospel than for everyone to love you and never say a word about Jesus Christ. It would be better. My brother had, had prayer times in Defoe Hall, the third floor of Defoe Hall in Missouri University, Columbia. He had prayer in his room. And everyone knew that, that 
he would pray in his room. And they started out pretty rough. If memory serves me right, it was pretty rough. But after a while, they all went to him one by one and said, Scott, would you pray for me? Because they knew he had prayer time in his, in, his, in his dorm room. And when I went to college there, I went to the, sec- the third floor to full, to full hall. And they said, you're, you're Scotty's brother. Yes. Well, he had prayer for us. And I said, he prays for me too, so... No, (laughs) something like that, whatever. You put the acquaintances in order because God put people in your life, not just to make you better, but so you could share something that will change their eternity. Until you get the eternal mindset, we we will just pass by all the people and be afraid to say something or will not say anything or will judge that they won't receive us. Number, Number five, business relationships. You're in a business relationship You represent the Lord first. You make good on your word. Don't make a promise that you can't keep. Here's a business relationship. Don't take out a loan you can't pay back. Here's a business relationship. Your business relationship should should magnify and exalt the Lord and shine a good light on the body of Jesus Christ. Number, Number six, the lost, the backslider, the discouraged. I want to set something in order. There are people that are lost. They've never heard the Lord. They've never heard the message. They don't know. They're just lost. They're blind. They don't know. That's my heartbeat. I want to find the lost. That's my great desire. I want to find the lost. That's why I think we should have church so people can hear the gospel. The backslider. The backslider has done something foolish. They're, they're, they're no longer around. They're, or maybe they come occasionally, but they've backslidden. Or they slid back from their original beliefs. They're the backslider. And there are backsliders. And I want to be careful with the backslider. They, they do pain. It pains me. And then there are people that are not, they're not lost. They're not backslidden. But they are very discouraged. They don't know what to do. Our town might be littered with people that are just discouraged. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They're not going to a church just because they're very discouraged. Some major things happen in their life. When you lose a child to death, you can become very discouraged, depressed, all kinds of anxieties, and many other things like that. And we've got to love them. Now, the lost are in their own category, and the backsliders are different than the reviler. A reviler is different than the backslider. A reviler is not just bitter, but they're hateful. I don't have time to go through all the scriptures with you, but there is a reviler, and the reviler, you stay away from the reviler. They'll poison you. They'll destroy you. They know you. They know your doctrine. They know how to pinpoint every hypocritical thing in the church, and they'll mess you up every time. you got to get this in order. Here's your life in order. Find the lost, encourage the discouraged, and pray for the prodigal. Let's do that again. You need to find the lost. You need to preach the gospel to the lost and bring them into your home and to your life. It's the, this is the job of the church, setting something in order. We should not come here thinking this is all for us. It's all for me. What are you going to do for me? No, this is for people that don't know the Lord. 
How about the discouraged? You encourage them. Sometimes you just have to keep speaking the word. You're going to do good. You're doing great. God's love, God loves you. I love you. And encourage them. Some people just need to be encouraged and they will get on with their walk with God. And then the backslider is the prodigal. They may be very difficult. Sometimes you can't reach your own children, but you ask someone else to pray. But you look for someone else's children or a backslider. The backsliders are all over the place. There's a lot of backsliders that watch our Sunday services. And I'm praying for them. They'll come back to the Lord. They may not come back to this church, but that doesn't matter. They got to go back to the Lord and the doctrine. And then finally, number seven, in relationships, there's another level of relationships. These are the toxic relationships. They're unhealthy and they're very dangerous. I'm going to warn the young men here tonight. And I, and I implore you to, to read, I believe it's Proverbs 7. There are dangerous relationships. There are, there are, there are, there are girls that want to conquer you. <laughs> and Solomon wrote it, and I'll tell all the men this. Every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man is tempted. Maybe I should start over. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Let me just say to everybody, every person will have temptation. Everyone. Temptation is everywhere for everyone. Your temptation is different from someone else's temptation. You may not have a temptation to consume a, 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 a beverage that's, that's unhealthy. But you might have a temptation that entails pride or ego or selfishness. And, and there's temptations that will draw you away. Every man is tempted. Every man is tempted. Period. Every man is tempted. When he's drawn away of his own lust, that's personal lust. That's defined lust. That's personalized issues. Because my temptations and your temptations may not be the same thing. And they probably aren't. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. And that Proverbs 7 is going to talk about a woman. She lures the young man. He looks out of his window. First thing is, he's looking in the wrong place. If you knew how much pornography is being viewed today by so many people, you'd be astounded. He looks out the window. That's where his eyes are. You'll say, I'll never go there. I'll never do that. But Lot built his home. When he opened up the door, he was looking at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He did not move to those homes. He, he did not move to those cities. He started with facing his eyes towards it. And wherever your eyes are pointed, that's where your body will be. That's why they put the wonderful products in the front of the store. They lure you because your eyes will draw in your lust. And he looks at that woman. She woos him. The, the point of that is she says there are no consequences. Come, let us take our fill. My husband is gone. There are no consequences. I've prepared my bed for you. There's, there's flower petals, there's incense, there's, there's perfume. Come, she knows what she's doing. She is not just a person, but she is a spirit. 
and the spirit of this age is, is waging great war against our men and our women. But I'm speaking to our men. And it's not just the young men. It's every man. It's every man's battle. And when she lures him and she traps him and she has an illicit affair with him, the Bible says he's like a little bird with an arrow that shot through his liver. But when you're shot through the liver, it doesn't feel the same as if you're shot in other places. It means he can't even feel that he's bleeding out and dying. It feels good, but he's dying. And he'll never recover. That's a dangerous relationship. But you don't have to go that far for the relationship to be, da- to be unhealthy. Some relationships are just unhealthy. <laughs> Because you have a girlfriend and the girlfriends get together and you talk about things you ought not talking about. You talk about things that ought not to be out of your mouth and your house is out of order. And you think it's just talk, but talk leads to other things. Let me just tell you, even talk will cause you to go to hell because you're judged by the things you say. Jesus said you're justified or you're condemned by your own words. That's the scripture. And then comes this toxic thing. And the toxic thing is a poison in your, in, in, your, in your veins. It's toxic for you. It's toxic for you. And you've got to identify the relationships in your life that will poison your mind and your spirit. If you walk away from anyone after having a conversation or a dinner with them and you feel dirty, you feel, and, something's, and you feel angry, that's a toxic relationship. And if it's your spouse, then both of you need to get to the altar and pray until you heal that toxic relationship because you're married. <laughs> Amen. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I wrote this. We are more clearly defined by the health of our relationships, by both investment and response. This is our life. And I wish I could go down this further, but I've got one more The last of the sevens. It's the healthy heart. The healthy heart. I'm not talking about the physical now. I'm not talking about your physical heart. Here's what you have to do. This this next line is a very... It's taken me... I can't tell you how many years. And I... I was so wrapped up in thinking things could be solved and solved and solved and fixed and fixed. And, and I, 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 I've realized some things can only be managed and mended and cared for. God can heal your past. He can heal it. But that doesn't mean the scar will be taken away. I don't know why that's true. Maybe it's just to remind you where you came from. But the first thing to have your house in order and your heart in order is to take care of your past. And taking care of your past is not just forgiving people or asking for forgiveness, though those things are part of that. They are part and parcel of caring for your past. But you have to care for it. You have to understand you can undo what has been done. 
And your brain will often not let you forget what has been done or what has been done to you. So you have to put that in a place and make sure that it's not rehearsed over and over in your day. I'll tell you how to never forget your wound. Keep talking about it. Let me just tell you how to keep your pain alive. Rehearse it. Write it in a book. Make a notation of it. Tell everybody what happened to you. Share all of your grievances over and over again. You'll keep that wound alive as if it happened this very day. Number two, you need to make plans for your future. What is the plans? Expansion of your life, your healthy heart. I'll, I'll come back to it. Number three, it's the overcoming and managing of internal issues. Because what I cannot solve, I have to manage. And I have to understand where those things belong. Where do those things belong? I can tell you some some very painful stories of my life. And all of my hurts, all of them have come from the church. All of them. All of the pain and hurt of my entire life has come from the church or church people. All of my life, growing up in a pastor's home, being in the ministry all these years. I was never hurt by the world. If I was in the world, I would have been hurt by the world. But I wasn't hurt by the world. (laughs) But I also figured out that if you're hurt by your brothers, you're also healed in the same house. Amen. (laughs) You're looking at my face, but you don't know the history. I'm just going to tell you, I am an overcomer. I ought not be standing here, but I'm, I'm standing here by the grace of God. I probably shouldn't even really be the preacher or the pastor, but the Lord has given me mercy and grace, and I gave it to other people that hurt us. My father's church burned down one night in the middle of the night, and there was a minister, a couple ministers in our church. They were not real prominent people. But those two couples took occasion. They thought they were going to take over the church, said a lot of ugly things and left. Told a lot of untruth. It came out later that, that, that everything was right and we know where all the fire started. It wasn't actually the church. It was the side of the building. It was the Sunday school rooms. We know. And years passed after that. Maybe two or three years passed after that. And I found myself sitting in the top floor of, of, of BOTT on the, on, the, on the balcony. And I had just got done singing and one of the staff members, probably you, Brother Shock, I don't know, I think it was your wife, actually, who got me a metal chair because the place was kind of full and I, didn't, I wanted to sit up there, you know, in the balcony because people sitting down, I couldn't see them. I need a platform. And so I couldn't see over anyone's head, got me a metal chair, and I'm, I'm there. It's my first time at Because of the Times, and Billy Cole got up to preach. And I had never heard Billy Cole. So he was, he was a powerful apostolic man. He was an apostle, I think. Maybe a prophet. And he got up to preach. And, and I looked down. And at the end of his sermon, it was so convicting. People were repenting and pouring their hearts out to God. And I had held a bitterness in my heart. Uh, a very deep bitterness against those people. And there they were sitting down in the audience. And people were standing and praying. They did not stand up. They were just sitting. And something picked me up. And I walked down the stairs 
of that, uh, of the riser there. I walked down the stairs and I went into their pew and I just threw my body and laid over all of their knees, laid on top of them so they couldn't move. And I started to pray for them and I wept. And I poured my heart out to God and I felt their hands and I'm sure it was very uncomfortable for them. I laid on top of them and I prayed and wept over them. And I asked God to forgive me for the bitterness I had against them. That's right. And I felt their hands on the back of my head and the back of my shoulders and on the small of my back and on my, on my legs. I felt their hands and they cried too. And I could, have, I could have walked out of that conference and said, I'll never talk to them. And I thought for many years that I would never be afflicted by bitterness. But that's a lie. You can be afflicted by bitterness. Even if you got rid of one bitterness, you can take up another. Because the devil is always after you pouring something into your life. And I have to manage those things and I have to constantly fall on my face and say, God, help me to forgive and help me to get free of this stuff. You want to have a house in order? You get your heart in order. And I'll tell you what, a lot of things are going to be taken care of in your life. I think there's a lot of people that go to church and they're so bitter and so angry and they worship and praise, but they really don't have great liberty. The reason why is they're still wounded and hurt and they're still, they have the destructive thing inside. They've not learned how to manage that. No, the memory didn't leave me, but I always have to put a filter on my brain only by the grace of God. The thorn may still be there, but his grace is sufficient for me. And if you think, well, I don't want to be involved in church because I don't want to get hurt. Well, then you should just go to an island somewhere and just live alone because life is full of relationship issues. And you're going to have to deal with that. And you're going to have to learn how to love. And you're never going to be like Jesus Christ until you are wounded. You're never more like Jesus until you are falsely accused. We say to be like Jesus. On earth I want to be like him. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like the Lord. But the first time we have an offense or someone comes up against us, we want to, we want to exercise our rights and we want to make sure that we are the one pounding the nails into their hands. It, 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 it grieves me that the modern church does not know how to be offended and still love. It grieves me that the modern Pentecostal will not stand for anyone to say anything ugly to them and they will be very offended and very, and very angry at, at folks in the church. It grieves me because we are far from the Lord. We profess Christ, but we don't understand the wounds of Christ. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he was meaning you're going to have suffering and pain. Where is that going to come from? The best place and the most common place is not in the world, but in the church. So just know, not everyone is kind in the church, and not everyone is pleasant in the church. And some people are angry, but you've got to say, I love you anyway because Jesus loved me. You ought not wait for someone to say, I'm sorry, to forgive them. You don't need to wait for an apology before you free them of the, of the offense that they caused you. You ought to be walking around saying, I forgive you, I forgive you. I don't even know what you're about to say, but I forgive you. <laughs> I think you're going to say something bad. I just want to let you know I just forgive all that section over there. <laughs> 
And if we don't do that, what we have is we have a stale, make-believe religion that, that prides itself on an outward appearance but has no inward love for people. That prides itself on the doctrines of, of baptism, but we know nothing about truly dying ourselves. And I stand up to, to refute that false notion and say, it's time to set our hearts in order. You, we got to get our hearts in order. And some things I can't forget, but I'm going to manage that thing. And I'm going to overcome that thing. Here's the next one. You have to have a pursuit of forgiveness. You are in pursuit of forgiving people. You, you ought to forgive your, your boss. <laughs> Slash your wife. You ought, to forgive. you ought to forgive. You ought to be in pursuit of forgiveness. Because he was in pursuit of you. He forgave you before you even came into this world. He saw you and knew you before you were born. He died for you before you committed the sin. Oh, man. Amen. How about, how about a healthy heart by having a godly worldview? A godly worldview. What about a godly worldview? We, people, all, all people have a worldview. They may not understand or, or describe it. Some have a broad worldview. How about godliness? How about a godly worldview? A godly worldview. Here's, here, here's a person who, a few examples, who think of a, of, a, of, a, of a worldview in a godly sense. They think their career, their profession, and their skills combined with their money and their income was all meant for the kingdom not so they could have a pleasant life. A godly worldview is looking at open borders. Our southern open border where untold millions of people are walking through and saying, I can't do anything about that, but I'm going to love all the people in Nueva Vida from Nicaragua. Where are you, Brother, Brother Bonilla? Yell out, how many people from Nicaragua did we have in church the last couple Sundays? How many different Nicaraguans have we had? 20. And we were praying for them, and we were crying for them. And we were worshiping with them. And that's not the only. There were eight different Central American countries represented in Nueva Vida three weeks ago. Eight. We want to send missionaries overseas because we're okay to do that. But when they come into our country, we don't have a godly worldview. Listen, I believe that we ought to have a border and we ought to stop all the illegal immigration. And we ought to stop all this mess. I do believe that. But since I can do nothing more than cast a vote, I'm going to minister all the people and pray them through to the Holy Ghost and baptize them in Jesus' name because they are on my turf. And what we fail to remember is that everybody from every denomination and every faith and every religion, from the Muslim to the Catholic to the atheist, all of them need Jesus and everyone needs to be baptized in the only saving name. That's the godly worldview. My worldview is that everybody needs to be saved. My, my issue with the, with the modern conservative church is that we have let our conservative views interrupt the mission of the gospel. 
Are you not? Con- I am a conservative. I don't know if I even belong to any party. I have no idea what those things mean. But I do know that I'm a conservative. How'd you come by that? I came by way of the scripture. The scripture made me that way. Not a political party. The scripture made me that way. So I got to understand what I'm doing here. Because if the Lord comes back tomorrow, there are no political parties that matter. I won't be raptured by a president. I'm going to be raptured by the Holy Ghost. And all the people around me, I got to have a world, a godly worldview. What is my godly worldview? In a week and a half, we're going to come. And we're going to bring an offering, a sacrificial offering. And we're going to write a number, a monthly amount to give to missions. And we're going to say, I'm going to sacrifice something in my monthly expenses. And I'm going to give it because I have a godly worldview. All right. I'm looking for a healthy heart. Guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. Guard your heart, the mouth speaketh from the abundance of the heart. The inner man, the core, the person, it's the birthplace of all actions. The actions never come first. The deed never comes first. It's the thought that comes first. It's the hidden man that comes first, and then all the other things. I can remember a, a, a mother telling me about her son that got in trouble over and over and over again and sometimes with the law. And she came and said, oh, but pastor, my son has a good heart. No, he does not. He has a bad heart. That's why he's doing bad stuff. Because if he had a good heart, he wouldn't have got pulled over by the cops. <laughs> he's got a good heart. No, he's got a bad heart. He needs to clean up his heart. If you clean up your heart, your actions will follow. A good tree is going to produce good fruit. You know people by their fruit. All right. I'm moving on. And there's so much about a godly view. Number six, it's personal investments. Because wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. Just find out what people invest in, and you'll, you'll know exactly the desire of their heart. Where, where's your treasure? There's your heart. This is your, this is, personal investments always reveal your heart. Let, let me read this scripture, Matthew 12 and 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. There is no debate on this, ladies and gentlemen. There's no debate. You don't cuss like a sailor because you have a good heart. But I say unto you, this is Jesus, this is red letters, people. That every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. It would be better for us to stop talking. But we have the need to talk. And you're talking, ladies, you're talking too much. You're talking about things you ought not talk about. You don't need to share. You don't need to share. Stop sharing. Be quiet. You make your husbands look like a fool when you talk. Oh, man. 
Well, this is a... Uh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the amens. I don't need one right now. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we ought to guard what we're saying. And if we didn't guard what we're saying, it means we let a whole bunch of stuff into our heart. And it's coming out of our mouth. Here's the last verse. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by your words you'll be condemned. Let me just, let me just do this. You deal with the past, hurts, pains, memories. You need to have dreams and visions of the future. Some of us, we, we need to overcome things. There's, there's, and when I say the word demons, I'm not talking about demonic things, but there's strongholds we've got to overcome. We have to continually be in pursuit to forgive people all the time. We have to have a disciplined worldview, not caught up with trends and fashions, or to be influenced by people that are not godly. This is an internal thing. There should be investments, personal investments. Your personal investment is not just giving money, but you ought to make some personal investments to help your heart. Reading, taking a class, learning some new things about how to have a better marriage. And There's books, all kinds of things we can read and define skills. And finally, the last one is to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit, which is in the bond of peace. That's love. You endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. The unity of the spirit. The unity of the spirit. And I would submit to you, that is not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the spirit of the church. In the spirit of the church, we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit of the church. Amen. Because if we have unity in the spirit, the spirit of the church, the attitude of the church, it will permeate And it will bless the body and bless everyone who comes. We want to be a blessing and a lighthouse to our community. And if there's unity of the spirit in this house and we endeavor to keep that, then I promise you the Lord will bless us because we're striving to do that. And that's a hard task because there's so many diverse personalities in this place. There's a lot of different interests here. It's okay to have different interests. Some of you like to hunt. Some of you like to fish. Some of you like motorcycles. Some of you like all of above. Some of you like none of that stuff. Some of you like pasta. Some of you don't like that. Some of you like, I don't care what you like. Those are personality traits. Those are, those are differences. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you greet the brother. You greet your sister. You love them. You don't poor mouth them. You don't talk bad about them. You lift them up. You keep the unity of the spirit. And if, and, and if something happens where, where, where you feel a little bit of friction, you just, you just remember the word. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? It'd be better for you to be wronged and cheated than for you to interrupt the flow of the spirit of the church. We have to keep the unity of the spirit. It's in the bond of peace. Amen.